This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. I have a pretty simple mission for this podcast. I'm trying to collect all the stories people have that seem completely unbelievable but are 100% true. I mean, everybody has them. Yeah, one person who seems like uh, she could be a future guest on this podcast, the way she's going, is Rebecca Lockwood, a 19-year-old college student featured in the British outlet Metro. Like just about everybody else in the world right now, Rebecca is sequestered in her home, trying to keep from getting uh, COVID-19 or infect others, more importantly. Also, like many other people, she decided to use this isolation time as a time of reflection and personal growth. Now, most people would probably read a few books or maybe start a new hobby, maybe a couple dozen new podcasts. Oh, wait, that's just me. But Rebecca took things a little bit further. She decided that her path to growth was calling all of her exes and talking to them about what went wrong in their relationship. The people who have experienced the worst of me are definitely the most qualified to tell me what went wrong and how to improve, Rebecca said. Well, I guess that's true. No word on the results, although it has been incredibly awkward. But hey, we're rooting for her. Rebecca's exes are having a terrible time all of a sudden, but that's nothing compared to my friend Darla J. Now, Darla is one of the funniest and most talented radio people I've ever worked with. But after she left radio, she had an almost biblical string of calamities hit her all at once. But she came out on the other side laughing and actually ended up becoming a viral sensation after she beat cancer. I mean, seriously, for like a week, she was literally everywhere. Even if you didn't actually know you were seeing Darla J, you saw her at least like half a dozen times in the course of a week. Thanks so much for joining me and sharing your story, Darla. Thank you, Keith, for inviting me. Great to talk to you again. So you have have had uh, quite an adventure over the past uh, couple of years. You sort of moved around a bit uh, uh, recently, and now you're in Texas. And then uh, that that's sort of when things really started to... Fall apart. Fall, fall apart, <laughs> spiral out of control. Yeah, go down the dumper. Yeah, it's been all those things combined. Uh, decided to move down here and move my mother from Florida to Texas because my brother was here, is here, and said he said to me, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we were all living in the same city? And like a fool, I said, yes, that would be fantastic. So I decided to move from Kansas City, and I got to Houston, Texas. I'm in the northern suburb and was staying with my brother for a little bit, and that's when Hurricane, not Katrina, Hurricane, um, Well, let's see, what, what year would that have been? That would have been 2017. Hurricane Harvey, I'm sorry. So Hurricane Harvey happened about a week after I got here. Nice. And as you know, the whole city was flooded. Yeah. And so my brother and I talked quite a bit, and I decided that I was, um, if we were going to move here, I should probably find my mother and I a house. And he said, yeah, you know, mom could live with you and it'd be really great and I'll help you out and all of those things. So I, I said, okay, and started trying to figure out my way around here. And when you move to a city of six and a half million people, that's not the easiest thing. But mm-hmm. I kind of figured out an area. I wanted to live close to him and his girlfriend and found a couple of houses I liked. And then I flew to Florida to convince my mom to come here. And once I got to Florida, a week later, Hurricane Irma happened. So I took my mother and threw her in the car with a bunch of stuff. She's, now she's 87 years old. She was 85. 
and we had to drive all the way to uh, Opelika, Alabama, because we couldn't find a hotel anywhere. So once I was there, I realized that she was slipping a little bit because I was spending lots of time with her, and it made it even more real that we should move to Texas. Mm-hmm. So I packed up her entire life in Florida and uh, moved her here, bought a house, moved her into it. And after we got here, um, first thing was I told her, you know, you'll really like Texas. The weather's really great. It's only about 10 degrees cooler than it is in uh, in Venice, Florida. So the first day that we got here, the temperature dropped to 17 degrees. Nice. <laughs> so, so you're literally dodging hurricanes and, uh, and snowstorms. Exactly. And it actually snowed for the first time in a couple of years the next day. And she said, I thought you said it would be warm here. So that was our, our inauspicious beginning getting to Texas. And, you know, I thought, okay, well, we're going to live together and I'm going to go get a job and we're going to do all these things. And I realized she needed more care than uh, I had thought previously. And she wasn't really that happy to be here. Um, she missed Florida. And so those first few months were incredibly difficult. Then she decided to, I said, can you take your car? and get the oil changed because I was going for a job interview and she said yes. So she drives over to this place and she's talking to all the guys, she loves to talk to people, talk, talk, talk. And um, he says to her, don't get out of the car. And she said, I won't. And two seconds later, she decides to get out to give him a tip. And she trips on the lip of one of those oil bays that goes down into the basement and fell and shattered her kneecap. So I got a call in the middle of an interview saying your mother's on the way to the emergency room. Went there, she broke her patella, she had to have uh, a surgery, and she didn't have a clue where she was. Um, This was probably the starting of her memory issues. And whenever somebody with memory issues has surgery, then um, when they go under anesthesia, it makes it much, much worse. Mm -hmm. So she was in the hospital, and then she was in rehab for three weeks, She got home, and about two weeks later, I got a call from my doctor. Well, well, let's just let's just recap for a second here: hurricane, hurricane, snowstorm, broken kneecap. Yes, yes, and and you would think that would be enough for the first uh, ten months that you're in the city. You would think so. Yeah. So in the meantime, I was having some medical issues. Went to a doctor doctor sent me for some tests said you might as well go get a mammogram while you're there and they called me and said we see something we don't think it's anything but we want you to come in for an ultrasound so i went in for the ultrasound and the the technician said to me i don't think it's anything so but let's have the doctor come in and she said i don't think it's anything so let's it looks like a cyst let's just poke it and then afterwards you go get another mammogram you go home i said okay so I did that, and I went in to have another mammogram. I think it was two days later. No, the next day, they called me and said, we saw something on your mammogram, and it was behind the cyst. So if I wouldn't have gone in for that, they probably wouldn't have found the cancer for quite some time. But but it's it's interesting that, that literally they're telling you, oh, this looks like it's just a cyst, and it turned out it actually yeah. was. It was. Yeah. And if, if they hadn't looked at that and, and popped it, I wouldn't have, they wouldn't have seen the cancer. So that began, the doctor called me at home. I was standing in the kitchen, 
And he said, Daryl, I don't even want to, because I begged him. I said, don't make me wait a week. Let me know what's happening. He called me and said, I don't even want to tell you this. I said, just tell me. And he said, you have breast cancer. And it looks like it's a stage two. And um, you're going to have to go have some more tests. And I swear, I mean, it dropped me to my knees. Mm -hmm. Dropped me to my knees. I was so... I mean, you think you would know how you would react when you hear something like that, but the first thing you think of is, oh my gosh, am I going to die? And so I'm here in Texas with a mom who's sliding into dementia. He just told me I have cancer. I can't take her to all these appointments. I thought I was going to have to have chemo. My immediate thought was, get that thing out of me. Mm -hmm. And so I had surgery, and when I came out of surgery... um, I had to wait because they take out lymph nodes because they want to see if it spread. And it had not beyond a couple of lymph nodes. But she didn't even remember why I was there. Mm-hmm. And then she got in an argument with me right after I got out of surgery about something trivial, probably what color pants she was wearing. And so um, I thought I, then I went and had a bunch of tests done because they try to figure out, will chemotherapy help you or will it not? There is a test for the particular type of cancer that I had that if you get a 1 through 25, you don't need chemo. If you get a 26 and up, you need chemo. And I had that test done. I had to wait another week. There's a lot of waiting and freaking out when you get a cancer diagnosis. And that came back at a 25. So I didn't have to have chemo. But I needed seven weeks of radiation. And the place that I had to go to was 45 miles from my house. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to go have radiation, scares the crap out of me. One of those people that has to know everything. So I was online, you know, Googling my symptoms and Googling what kind of radiation there is. And then what's, you know, could I, could this happen? Could that happen? And my mom said, oh, you know, I'll drive with you. And I thought to myself, 35 times with her in the car with me, 45 miles there, 45 miles back and not knowing where we're going, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So I told her no. And it, was, it began the very long and very lonely journey because my tribe, as I like to call my friends, um, all lived in Kansas City. So it was something I had to do alone. And I remember the first appointment I went to, they, they build you, it's like a mold. It's kind of like a paper mache mold so that you are in the exact same position every single time. And I was laying on a thing and tears are rolling down my face and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I could do this. And I hear this voice over the, the loudspeaker and she says, okay, you're done. And I said, what? It only, once they get you set up, it only takes about five to 10 minutes. But the beginning, once I got through that first appointment, I thought, well, you know, I can do this. Mm-hmm. But boy, does it wear you out. Just, I mean, I was exhausted. I would come home. My mom would say, where, where were you? Oh, I was at the doctor. Why are you going to the doctor every day? And then I'd tell her. And then the next day she'd go, where were you? <laughs> so I was dealing with that on, on the other side. And I was so, radiation makes you so, so tired. Mm-hmm. And you get bad burns and, and all of that. Um, but I kept thinking, you know, I want to get to that that point at the end because I would see people when I'd go to see the radiologist which was the beginning of each week so she could assess how I was doing 
and people were ringing, ringing the bell. And I thought, oh, I can't wait till I can do that at the end. And I think it was the beginning of my last week. There was a woman there with her family. It was like 10 of her family and friends. And they all had shirts on that said, her fight is our fight. And I remember sitting in my car saying, why, why did I have to do this by myself? But I did. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're in a new city, you get sick, you, you want to do whatever you can to get better. And I did. Um, I didn't have anybody drive me or go with me or anything. And so I did bring my mom for the last thing, the last day. And I saw the radiation oncologist and it was like it was like taking your mom to like your ballet recital except <laughs> except really sad it, it, honestly it was she was down the hall talking to a nurse and i said i said mom I'm, i get to ring the bell what do you get to ring the bell for i said well i'm done with my treatment and i said so make sure you watch and she totally missed the whole thing and so i got out of the doctor's office went around the corner there was a big bell on the wall and they had asked me if they could film me ringing the bell and I said sure and so I started ringing and I was so excited I, I ripped the clapper right off the bell and it went way across the room and I was laughing I was like oh my gosh I broke the bell that's fantastic <laughs> and the next thing I know I think it was the next morning one of um, my brother's fiance called me and she said turn on uh, NBC News the mm-hmm. local NBC News affiliate and there I was and 40 million people watched that video. Well, and, and I don't know, um, you know, I, I, the first time I saw it was actually on the NBC affiliate here in Chicago. And it was, you know, I, I'm not sure how it fits into, like, the timetable of, like, what it actually happened. But it was before I saw it on NBC here before uh, you had posted about it on social media. So I just saw, oh, wow, she... That woman broke the bell. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't actually know it was you. (laughs) Yeah, I heard from people all over the country. Because, you know, I was in radio, too, and people were calling me and saying, was that you? Was that you? And then uh, the next thing I knew, it was on CNN, then it was on Fox, and then it was on all these other channels. I was on Good Morning America. I was on the Today Show. And it went... To 40 different countries. Uh, Just, you know, if you're going to end a cancer journey exhausted and disgusted, but feeling like you actually you survived it, you're going to move on, that's the way to do it. Becoming a viral sensation. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was, you know, I always hear, well, people, oh, that went viral. That went viral. I, I knew what it was, obviously. But I didn't realize what that was really like. I mean, I got calls from TV stations all over the country. It was it was it was pretty amazing, actually. So if you're if you're going to get cancer, make sure you do something at the end that really will get you noticed, because that's a good way to end your journey. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and that's a it's a it's a it's a it's a downer of a story with a really uh, uplifting ending. That's that's what I would say. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So um, the minute I got done with that, then my mom got pneumonia. So I continued just like it was before. <laughs> I was like, can I have a couple of days just to enjoy this? No, apparently not. Uh, so going, going viral in a completely different direction. 
Exactly. Yeah, she she went viral in a number of different ways and ended up in the hospital for five days. And I couldn't even be there because my immune system was so shot from having radiation. I would stand outside the door and say, hi, Mom, hope you feel better. And then I'd go home. <laughs> hi, Mom, rooting for yeah. you. Bye. Yeah, woo, get better. So, in other words, a pretty happy ending to one heck of a roller coaster ride. That story will be tough to top, and that duty falls on comedian and podcaster Andrew Heaton. Andrew was once an unintentional international arms smuggler. We'll get all the details in the next thrilling installment of the Greatest Story Ever podcast. If you think you can top any of these stories, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Keith R. Conrad. And don't forget to uh, rate and review uh, this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts. Gabatron.